0: Today we return to the Gospel of John chapter 1 and uh, picking up where Brad left off at verse 16. uh, He shared with you verses 14 and 15 which are indeed some of the most theologically loaded passages you'll find in the Bible. Uh, Verses 16 through 18 carry that same theme forward but now kind of serving as an explanation. So if you read 14 and 15, and then you read 16 through 18, 14 and 15 establish a reality, 16 through 18 explain it, uh, kind of give you some more information that makes it real and understandable and applicable. But in the midst of it, what you find as the overarching focus of attention is the grace of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were going to pick one of the characteristics that that we experience through our relationship with God because of faith in Jesus Christ, the one I would always go back to is grace. And I'll tell you why. Because that's my only hope. I can't earn God's favor. I don't deserve the blessing of salvation. I cannot achieve... Status or standing that would ever put me in a favorable light to a holy and perfect creator God. My only hope, my only salvation, my only message is grace. God's grace initiated by him, fulfilled through him, carried out and assured in him and promised by him. All of this is something that we cannot do. Grace is absolutely essential to our understanding. Now, what does grace do for us? Well, it does a couple of things. Not just does it carry out all of the saving work of Christ that we experience, but grace is the antithesis of legalism. Legalism is absolutely the death of genuine faith because legalism shifts the attention and focus away From dependence on God and places it squarely on human performance. So that now we become burdened with the reality of having to bear the weight of our own redemption. And the reason it's such a heavy load is because it isn't possible. You can't save yourself, you can't save anyone else. And it doesn't matter how good you are or how good you think you are. The reality is that no one is righteous, not even one, and our most righteous deeds remain as nothing more than filthy rags in his sight. He doesn't say that in order to condemn us. He says that to explain the condemnation that we've brought on ourselves and to offer us hope through grace. Is grace important? No. (laughs) Grace is absolutely essential. There isn't anything in your experience spiritually that is more important than grace. So the title of the message today is Grace Upon Grace. I take it from the passage that we are studying together and you'll see it very quickly as we move through in verse 16 he says for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. What we find first of all is the gift of God is grace multiplied. Grace upon grace is grace multiplied. It is a powerful statement that that I think may come across almost Cryptically, And so when we read it, we understand at least some of it, but we don't really perceive the depth of it. So notice several things about this gift of God's multiplied grace to us. Notice how the sentence begins, for from his fullness. The origin, the beginning, the way everything comes to us is from God. I don't know if you've had any dealings with, um, with Apple products over the years. Uh, I adopted that a long time ago. In fact, in my office, in the, the desk or the credenza drawer uh, is a box, the original box with the original iPhone uh, and the original cable and charger. Uh, that came out 11 years ago, I think, or 10 years ago, and and it still works. Uh, if, you, if you turn it on, it'll come on. Now, it doesn't have a SIM card in it or anything like that, um, and is it valuable? No, it isn't. Uh, you know, you can sell it on eBay for a few hundred bucks. It's not really worth much. Uh, if it had never been opened, that's a different story, but who buys an iPhone and doesn't open it and use it and play with it? Not me. I know people do. I'm not one of those. But I kept it. Uh, I was fascinated by it. It was something that signaled a, a giant leap forward in my mind with regard to technology. And, uh, and so while some of that's good and we've benefited from it, obviously it isn't all good uh, because now we find that thing glued to our hands and almost dominating our every moment. I used to be able to hide from you. And I can't do that anymore. And it doesn't work out well for me because when you send me a text or when you call me or when you uh, name me somehow on Facebook or any of those different kinds of things, I have my phone set up so that it pops up a notification. Now, it may not make a noise. It may not vibrate. It may not do any of that. But on the home screen of my phone will be a red number. I can't tolerate that. My OCD won't allow it, and so I have to look at it. If nothing else, I don't necessarily have to read it or even care about it. I just have to make the red numbers go away. Now, those of you who have 463 unread emails and 1,200 unread text messages and 700 unlistened to voicemails, I don't even know how you exist but it doesn't work for me. But what you learn about Apple products is that they created them in a very specific way. One of the earliest uh, iterations of their devices was not necessarily the phone, but you remember the iPod. And the iPod had a very specific purpose. It was a music player. That's what it was designed for. That was all it was capable of. And so the way it worked is that you could purchase music and you could put it onto your iPod and then you could listen to it through your earphones or through uh, some other type of, of streaming Uh, mechanism and and that's the way it worked but if you had that music and you wanted to take it from that ipod and send it back to something else that couldn't happen apple knew that if you could do that then you would just buy it and share it and they wouldn't get money for it every time it was going to be it was going to be copied or duplicated and so they made it a one-way means of transmission now, while it was very frustrating at times when you were updating a device or you're doing something else, they had a system for that, but it was always designed and always intended to be one way, and that's it. It goes from the origin to the object. Grace is intended as an origin the object means of conveying God's favor, providing what is needed most. It comes from only one source initiated by him, four from his fullness. It began with him. The fullness is the description of Jesus here. Uh, There's some debate as to whether this is a reference to God or whether it's a reference to Christ. Uh, I don't know that that is necessarily a relevant... Uh, argument in the midst of this particular passage it doesn't really make that much difference but since everything else has spoken of the word becoming flesh dwelling among us seeing the glory of the father manifested through him uh, john coming as a witness to the reality that the messiah is among us all of these things him saying that he ranks before me because he was before me so that now when it says in verse 16 from his fullness it's obvious to me that it's speaking of Jesus. Jesus Christ it is from his fullness you remember that word that word is used periodically throughout scripture but only I think only here in this particular uh, book but nonetheless it is describing for us something that is difficult to comprehend once you start unpacking that you will discover something that you really didn't I think expect what does fullness mean it means completeness. It means everything that is necessary. Everything that is truly needed. From His fullness, we get everything that we need. But notice again the dependence on the source, the dependence on the origin. He's reminding us that not only has he intended this as a a singular flow so that you can't get this from anywhere else. You can't get it from your own performance. You can't get it from multiple religions. You can't get it from all of these other things that supposedly are going to help. All you're going to get is frustration, futility, and vanity. What he's telling us here, it is only from his fullness. Here's the problem. In order to experience the grace of God, you must stand in the presence of God. You must come face to face with the Son of God. You must realize the incredible reality that is associated in being with Jesus. He represents everything that you and I long to know about God. You say, well, that's great. Is it? You know what I feel? (laughs) I feel like Isaiah. Woe is me. I am undone. I come into the presence of Christ. I come into the presence of God. I think about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And what am I reminded of? I'm reminded of my brokenness. I'm reminded of my own inability to save myself. I'm reminded of my desperate need for grace. You say, well, isn't that good? Yes, it's good. But it's still hard, right? It's still hard. It is from His fullness He has everything we need, but because it's hard sometimes, we don't take advantage of that. We don't come to him. We're still too hung up on either protecting our darkness or hiding from his glory. The gift of God is grace that is multiplied, that flows from the very fullness of who Christ is, all that we can imagine and know about him, that is represented in the grace that he has given. It is from his fullness that we receive this grace. And so here is the key. It is that word, receive. Here's how you experience it. Um... I've talked about this before and recently, in fact, and we'll talk about it a lot through the Gospel of John because it comes up so often. But the idea of believing in Jesus as a uh, mere statement of position is insufficient for salvation. Remember what the Bible teaches us uh, when we talk about, well, you know, I'm okay because I believe in God. Jesus would say, well, even the demons do that. Uh, I'm not sure that's enough for you. So, so be careful. Be careful what you're relying on. Because when you say, well, I believe in God, remember how that sentence begins. That's not the way this works. Grace doesn't work like that. So the key isn't what you believe alone. Alone. It's what you receive. That's the key. For it is from His fullness that we have received, that we have been changed, that what He has given has come into us. We see often the the grace of God described as a gift. Gifts only are meaningful when they are received, that's the only way that it works. Receiving that gift creates an air of humility, but also of thanksgiving. It creates a response of appreciation. Uh, it creates a an awareness that provides understanding. All of these things are essential in order for us to receive. So salvation doesn't come simply by belief alone. It comes by belief that is manifested through receiving. So there is a commitment. There is a re, a union that is being formed. A a relationship that is coming together. So that we understand what God has done through Christ and we receive that as our own, so that we enter into that relationship with Him. This is where salvation takes place. It is from His fullness that we have received grace upon grace. It is not uncommon that the Bible would use these dual patterns of of restating something Uh, the Holy of Holies, the day of the day grace upon grace. These are all different ways of, of compounding the meaning of a particular word so that we can see it in an expanded way. Uh, he's describing something that is being stacked on top of something in order to show, uh, show it in a way that language simply doesn't afford I have a lot of words at my disposal, but yet I don't have the words to describe God's grace in its entirety. No one does. Any more than I could describe his glory. Any more than I could describe heaven. Any more than I could describe any of the characteristics of God that are infinite in a finite circumstance. And so what does the Bible do? Grace upon grace. We've all received grace upon grace. So it's not just talking about the fullness of, of, of Christ, but it's talking about how what we have received through Christ is sufficient for every need. There's another way, though, that that this is intended. And so the restatement of grace, grace upon grace, is intended to show a progressive reality as well. And we'll see that even further in the next verse. But here, what he's saying is that So the grace that you receive is sufficient for your salvation. It's also sufficient for your sanctification throughout the course of your life. It means that his grace will be sufficient in every situation. It will be sufficient in every experience or challenge or good time. He's telling us that the grace upon grace means that it has a dynamic living characteristic that shows that it will be appropriate and applied in everything that we experience throughout life so that no matter what you encounter or no matter where you go or no matter what you will be confronted with the grace of God piled on top of the grace of God given through receiving Jesus as your Savior and Lord is always going to equip you for everything that you experience or encounter along the way. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, so it is a gift of God multiplied. Verse 17, though, teaches us that the fullness of Christ ensures that grace is abundantly supplied so it's not only multiplied but it is abundantly supplied now what's the difference well the difference is again showing us how that fullness now manifests itself look what he says in verse 17 for the law was given through moses but grace and truth came through jesus christ this is really an interesting way now keep in mind John is writing in order to affirm the deity of Jesus, in order to affirm that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, and to to help others to know the saving work. Uh, This is ultimately going to be a message that's delivered not only to Jews, Gentiles as well, and all of them, uh, at least a a large portion of them that are going to read this are going to have some understanding of the Old Testament. A lot of people don't like the Old Testament. They don't like the, the language. They don't like the repetition. They don't like uh, the history or they don't understand it. Uh, some don't like the um, kind of the darkness that is associated with those periods of time that are described in the Old Testament as being so difficult and sinful. Um, uh, some don't like the uh, the effort that is necessary to try to interpret and understand in a modern era things that were said and commanded in an ancient one Um, and and so I get all of that Um, I do but please don't discount any portion of the Bible don't limit yourself by refusing to see the manner in which Christ has been working all throughout the history of humanity you say, well, the Old Testament, you know, has all this stuff about creation, and it has this stuff about the flood, and you know, science doesn't support that. Well, then, then don't believe science. You say, how can you say that? I mean, you're just showing yourself to be ignorant. Am I? I mean, you're going to decide where your authority is going to lie. Is it going to lie with the way of the world and a materialistic mindset and worldview? Or is it going to lie in the, in the comforting and encouraging truth found only in the Word of God? You say, well, you can't explain all that. I didn't say I could. In fact, I've never pretended to know everything. I act like it sometimes, but I don't really pretend to know And just because I have an answer for everything doesn't mean I know everything. That's just me using my gift of gab. You get what I'm saying? In order to really understand what we're talking about here, you've got to understand where the authority is going to lie. Do you trust the authority of the Word of God? If so, that means all of it including the Old Testament. In fact, what you'll find when you look to the Old Testament is you'll find that through everything described there, you can see the progressive revelation of God through the ages that brings us to Jesus. Now, progressive revelation is something that not everyone agrees upon, and it gets interpreted a little bit differently. I believe in progressive revelation. I think it's a part of... Uh, it should be a part of our theology. <clears throat> and while I may not make reference to that term when I'm talking about it, I often speak of it. Uh, and, and probably will even do so more and more. But here it's on full display. And so the law of Moses uh, was given to us, he says. And, and he doesn't say that as comparing it as less than the grace and truth that comes through Jesus. He's showing it as foundational. This is where everything starts. This is the foundation that ultimately lends itself to the understanding that comes when Jesus enters the picture. And so everything that was something we looked forward to is found in the Old Testament where we stand today, we're looking back to that experience with Christ. And so there is this, there's this understanding that God has been working throughout history. Now, if that is true, and you believe and accept that, and you can see that progressive grace of God being manifested through the law, through the covenants, through the deliverance through the inhabitants through the the captivity and through the return and you can see all of that taking place in the in the law and the prophets and the writings and you can understand that this is pointing forward to something else and then you see that that something else is the messiah and the messiah is Jesus we stand here now and we can look back and we can see how all of that has come together so that what we experience in the fullness of his of his grace began so long ago, and now there is a progression to god 's revelation of himself and his purpose. Now, if all that 's true and you 're at a place where you can embrace that, then what that means is what do we have to look forward to? Oh boy, this is where it gets good this is like this is like the um, the dessert you know now my problem is i'm a meat eater and a and a savory guy Um, and so i usually eat so much during that part of the meal that when they say do you want dessert it almost causes a gag reflex that doesn't mean i don't like it i just need a couple hours to settle down you know to create a little more capacity in there uh, in order to have it my father would say well if uh, I don't know where I'm gonna put it he said I guess I can smear it around on the outside but there's no room left on the inside (laughs) and by the way you can't have dessert by osmosis you can't just sort of absorb it it doesn't work like that what do you have to look forward to If you're relying on the world that's around you, I don't know if you've noticed lately, but it's kind of jacked up. If you're relying on the wisdom of that world, <laughs> that's even worse. There is little to, to any morality left, at least as far as the way it is portrayed in media. Uh, there is often no hope, and what hope is given is based on achievement or it's based on wealth or popularity or other things that you may never have. And even if you do have them and you pay attention to wealthy, popular people, you'll discover they're just as unhappy as you are and maybe more so. If you're looking forward to something that you're going to find in this life to satisfy whatever longing you're experiencing in your heart right now, you're going to be sadly disappointed. But if you're looking forward to a better day, you'll find it through your hope in Jesus. This life is short, it's brief, but where we're headed is so much better. You say, well, I I don't know how I'm going to do sitting on clouds and playing harps. Uh, I don't know how you're going to do that either because that's not what you're going to do. Number one, angels don't do that and you're not going to be an angel because if you were, you'd be one now and you're not one now because we all took a vote. (laughs) What does it mean? It means what you're experiencing now. You will experience in the new heaven, the new earth that Jesus is going to create. And the only difference between what you're experiencing now that I know of and can speak to with authority is that then there'll be no sin. Therefore, there'll be no darkness, there'll be no sadness, there'll be no death, there'll be no disease. We won't read about injustice. There won't be any. There'll be no sun or moon because they're not needed for the light that will give illumination to all of life will come from the very throne of God and the Lamb. That's what the future says. That's what the Bible says. That's what we're looking forward to. He is our Hope. So when we see progressive revelation, it informs us through all that has taken place in the past. It conforms us through what we're experiencing in the present through faith in Jesus. And it transforms our expectations of the future and our hope as we move toward it. So. The fullness of Christ ensures then that grace is abundantly supplied in every age and experience in this life. Verse 18, the person of Christ is the means by which grace is applied to our lives. Look what he says in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The person of Christ is the means by which grace is applied. It is applied to our lives in a way that it changes us, transforms us, but also gives us that information and understanding that we long for. Jesus will say, as John will record for us, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, in this verse 18, we get kind of a, a prelude of that. He says, no one has ever seen God. You say, well, wait a minute, didn't Moses see God? No. No, you're remembering it incorrectly. What did Moses see? Moses said, I want to see your glory face to face. And God said, no man can see me face to face and live. But he said, i tell you what I'll do. I'll let you see me as I pass by. And so God presented himself in a human image so that Moses was able to glimpse him from behind. He didn't see God. Moses would go into the Holy of Holies where he would speak with God. God would speak to him and he would come out. His face would glow, but he didn't see God. He experienced the glory of God. The Bible tells us that because of our sinfulness and because of our brokenness and because of all that is in us that is so contrary to the very nature of who God is that we cannot possibly know Him in this intimate fashion. So what did He do? He sent His Son to be the perfect image and to show us all that we needed to see and to tell us all that we needed to know. So that everything you and I need to know about God right now, we get from our faith in Jesus Christ so that no one has ever seen God, but the only God, the only God who is at the Father's side, Jesus, fully God, has made him known. So when we talk about faith in Jesus for salvation, for sanctification, for all of the things that he is doing through the work of his spirit within us, what we're talking about is a growing awareness and knowledge of who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are coming into an intimate experience that goes beyond Information that just fills your head to the kind of experience that changes your life. This is so important. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Every once in a while you can hold it and it'll just go away but not if you have another word or two you need to speak. <laughs> uh, I apologize. This is so important because what it means is, notice that last part of the verse, he has made him known. He's made him known. Not, not known as in to know about. Known. This is the same known. The same know that is used to describe a man knowing his wife. It's talking about the the unity of two becoming one. It's the same no that is applied to the experience of genuine faith. It is the kind of no that isn't just information, but it is also transformation. Transformation. It's experience that guides us so that we are growing in our knowledge of Christ, our knowledge of God the Father, our knowledge of the Holy Spirit working within, and that this growing awareness and knowledge is changing who we are so that the more we know Him, the more we are becoming like Him, the more deeply we are rooted in in him the more firmly we are grounded by him and the more sacrificially we are serving for him grace it all begins with grace it isn't us it isn't us waking up one day and say you know what i think i'm gonna do something for god i'm gonna be a, a christian i'm gonna be a better person I'm going to work hard the rest of my life, and I'm going to tell others about him. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't. You wake up one day, and you probably have no thought of such things, and he calls you. The theme of the retreat I was just a part of is is the call. That was it. And so we talked about guarding it. We talked about Uh, expanding it we talked about then I was assigned the closing message give the old guy the message on fulfilling the call I mean he's not going to be around much longer anyway so you know Paul's getting ready to say something like yeah the time of my departure is at hand I mean he gave me 2 Timothy 4 5 verse 6 is I've already am being poured out you know But boy, what a slap in the face. Fulfilling your call, completing what Christ has placed in you. You know what I learned through the preparation that I did for that message and the message that I delivered in that? What I learned was (laughs) it isn't complete in this life. You don't get to retire from faith. You don't get to set aside service and sacrifice. It isn't something that has a limited duration, and then you can just kick back and let others take it over. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people have said something either to me or through someone else that ended up being said to me, you know, I I did this for a long time for Jesus, but... It's somebody else's turn. Well, maybe if you can't do it anymore. But what, what we mean by that a lot of times isn't that God's leading me to do something else because I can't do that anymore or I don't feel called to do that anymore or I don't feel like that is the most effective use. What it means is I just don't want to do anything. I'm going to sit back and soak and, and let others do for the Lord and I'm going to watch and I'm going to cheer them on. I'm not going to be involved. Let me tell you something. It doesn't work like that. It does not work like that. God has called us to be on mission with Him as long as we have breath, as long as we have life. All I am is Christ, He said. For me to live is Christ. This is who we are, this is what He's making us to be. And here's the thing it's not an obligation or a duty. It is where you will find your highest fulfillment, your most immediate and intimate completion, your most powerful hope. Grace upon grace. Grace for every era, every age, every experience. What we find in Jesus isn't just sufficient isn't just enough. It's way more than that. Now and forevermore.